are rolling. Holy crap. <laughs> a five-person mega cast. This is actually our first collab cast ever. If you don't count your wife. <laughs> but we're here recording for this special occasion, for this amazing piece of work that just ended on Wednesday. Just came out on Wednesday. But we're here to record Loki. What is now known as season one. Yeah. But we have a bunch of special guests with us, sort of, via the internet and in person. We have who is known as collectively the Nerd World Order broadcast. And they come together to talk about different topics every so often, usually centering around some sort of comic book or nerdy venture. And they're also an online community that I am also a part of on Facebook and an apparel company as well, which is headed up mainly by a man named Alan Dukes. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Uh, sure. The community is actually an offshoot of the apparel company. Uh, thought being that as nerds, we always wanted a way to identify each other and represent. And so we created an apparel company. So it's sort of an offshoot of that. We wanted to create a digital platform so nerds could also identify themselves, which is where the community came in. And then in addition to that, somewhere along the way, Joe and I decided that we wanted to put our voices out there on the airwaves. And that's how the podcast came about. Cool. And Joe, you're also an admin on the Facebook group. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. He's like the Batman. I'm the Robin. <laughs> So uh, I'm just here for support. And like Alan said, we created that so a bunch of us nerds can get together and yeah. make friends. And that's how we met Alfonso. Yep. That's how we met you, Steven, and Gabe today. So, I mean, that was the whole point of us creating that. Facebook and the apparel was for all of us to come together like we're doing right now. That was Joe talking, by the way. Yes, sir. And we have returning Alf from the Invincible podcast. Who, yeah, my second time here. <laughs> yeah, two times. Who I have known for a while. We've been talking more because of some circumstances in life that brought us back together. Anyway. Wait a minute. Who am I in the Batman train? Am I uh, Damien? No, I'm much too tall for that. I think you're Barbara. I'm going to be Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> you're in the chair. <laughs> Yeah, let's just jump right into it. I thought it'd be interesting to open up with a question. What first got you into nerdum or nerd culture or comic books? Like, What was the first thing that you ever got into that was like, wow, I'm really into this. I'm just curious if you guys have an answer. I'd love to hear everyone's answer. Uh, so for me, it, it had to be sitting down on Saturdays and Sundays and watching reruns of Star Trek. You know, my dad wasn't really a sports guy. But he really enjoyed the social commentary as well as the science fiction of Star Trek. So he would sit down and watch it. I would watch it with him. I would identify with certain aspects of Mr. Spock and certain aspects of Scotty and a little bit of Kirk, not much. So I just expanded from there. He started buying me comic books. G.I. Joe issue number 21, Silent Interlude, was my introduction into comic books. My dad bought me that. And after that, it was just me trying to get, interestingly enough, there's no words in Silent Interlude issue number 21, but I tried to get my hands on as many comic books as possible to read after my dad got me that first comic book. So uh, Joe and I refer to our dads as Gen Zero of the Nerd World Order. And for me, definitely my dad's 
love of science fiction and everything like that got me hooked at an early age. That's super awesome because I definitely did not have that relationship with my father. (laughs) (laughs) Joe, what about you? Uh, With me, it's kind of the opposite because usually me and Dukes always disagree on a lot of things. His is Star Trek. Mine was Star Wars. I got introduced to Star Wars. And the funny thing about it is, well, I watched Star Wars and it came out in 77, if I'm not mistaken. So I moved to Okinawa and I stayed there for three years. Oh. But it was three years difference of when the movies came to Japan. Mm-hmm. So when I was watching Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi was coming out in the States. Oh. So as soon as I watched that and we came back in the States around 83, I was able to watch Return of the Jedi. Oh my so it was that. And then comics like Dukes, our fathers, you know, yeah. my dad was in the military. So he would take me to go meet all the people that he was in command of. And they would be like, oh, hey, and they would just give me stacks of comics that they had in their footlockers. And so that's pretty much my venture of me collecting comics was wow. just reading those free comics. And I was like 10 years old. So imagine 10 years old getting like a stack of comics, walking with a big old stack in your hand. And all you did was read them. And that's all you wanted. And I was back in the day where you could get comics in 7-Eleven, right? <laughs> so you go walk in there. That's how old I am. I just, uh, age dropped me right now. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, when you go to 7-Eleven, you used to get them off the little stand. You turn around, racks, get all yeah. the comics you wanted. Yeah. yeah. I remember a little bit of that. How long have you guys known each other? You and Dukes? 30 years, right, Dukes? Since we were like... That's a great question. I normally tell people I've known Joe for 20 years, but that's because Joe and I are very different. He age drops and I pretty much <laughs> refuse to acknowledge age. So I just round it off and tell people 20 years, but Joe Joe probably knows the exact number of years. We actually met in junior high school. Okay. And then in high school, Joe is a much better gamer than me. So I handed him my Nintendo Game Boy so that I could see what the other stages were like that I couldn't get past. Um, <laughs> yeah. I used to do that exact thing. So yeah. I totally understand that. <laughs> I would invite like the nerdiest people over after school so that they could <laughs> progress the game for me. Exactly. Oh, now we I have know. YouTube so we don't have to hand it off to other people. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And Twitch. Yeah. So wait, did you say 30 years and he said 20? Yeah. He doesn't like to do our age thing. Oh, okay. But we look young though. So I mean, I don't care. Hey. So Alf, what about you? What was your thing? You know, funny enough, uh, my whole thing started with my dad as well. My dad, when he was younger, he used to read comic books and later on he became a carpenter, but he he, uh, he had a little bit of dyslexia, so he would always try to read the newspaper and get things backwards a little bit, but he'd always get the gist of things. So as I was growing up and learning to read, he took advantage of that, thinking that that'd be a good time for him to practice reading and we could work together. And I didn't find out about this till years later, so it was really cool for me. <laughs> but, you know, he started picking up comic books here and there, you know, um, 7-Eleven, Stater Brothers, you know, off the spinner racks. Never heard of a comic book shop, you know, and I'd get you know, FF magazines, I'd get uh, Atari Force, Strike Force Moratory. And then one day I found Wolverine and I was like, this is what I like. <laughs> this is what I like. So from there, uh, I rolled into the X-Men, found a comic book shop one day and it was like heaven, you know. And uh, ever since then, I've been reading those books, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek. I was into those before the comics, mm-hmm. uh, cartoons, He-Man, yeah. G.I. Joe, yeah. you know, Silverhawks, uh, uh-huh. Robotech. Oh, man, I remember running home every day just to get home in time for Robotech. At the Macross? Yeah. It was like the first ongoing serial. Yeah. Uh, it's like, well, what's going to happen next? I got to get home, you know? And yeah. Throughout high school growing up, I worked in a All-American Comics, which was where I met Wes, yes. a mutual friend of ours, and John. Again, a mutual friend of ours. Um, we, uh, man, those were some good times working at a comic book shop. You know, um, all my money that I made there 
went to my comics. I got a discount, of course. And then whatever I didn't buy, I read. It was kind of cool. The way I got the job was because I would hang out there when I was doing nothing. Yeah. And people would be, you know, walking up and they're like, hey, have you read this book? You know, talking to the owner. And he's like, uh, no, I go, oh, no, that one's so good because that's an integral part of this. And, you know, you got to read that. But if you're going to read that, you're going to have to go read this first. And then from there, we're going to go over here. And like the guy would walk out with a fistful of books. And, and you know, so, my, you know, Wes is like, you're hired, dude. Yeah. And uh, led to a lifelong friendship, man. It was, yeah. it was great. Yeah. And, if, you know, through that is where I met Steven. <laughs> yeah. True. True. For me, I don't know what it would be, to be honest, because I remember being like two years old, three years old, and my brother playing the old uh, like X-Men games like on oh. our original Nintendo system back in like 89. Yeah. And so I remember and I was really into Ninja Turtles growing up, all the stuff that Netflix has done episodes about that they are like these were targeted for the demographic. Mm-hmm. They were targeting my demographic. So Power Rangers, yeah. all that stuff. I grew up always enjoying that stuff. So despite my dad really trying to get me into sports, I always took the other route and really clung to the stupid stuff that I, you know, I had to hide or else I'd get made fun of at school. That's how it was. Yeah. That's how it was. Yeah. And Steven's like 6'6", six, six, always being recruited by the basketball team. I know, no, it's, it's true. I'm like, I'm 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, oh, damn, I was right. And and so I would always have coaches coming up and be like, you're going to get out there? You're going to get out there. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and I started actually reading comics when I was, I think, 14. So I got really into the Brian Singer X-Men movie. Mm-hmm. That kind of burst my bubble of like what the possibilities were with good comic book, really making it grounded and interesting for me. You know, then Spider-Man came out like a year or two later, Sam Raimi Spider-Man, and then everything just snowballed to what it is today with Marvel and everything. Gabe, what's your story? It's not as interesting, I'll tell you. <laughs> None of my family were really into nerd culture growing up, but uh, I remember in the 90s growing up, because I'm a little bit younger than, yeah. than the average age of this podcast, but it's okay. uh, wearing out the VHS box set of the original Star Wars trilogy. Mm. But outside of that, like I never really got into comics as much because I didn't have any family or friends who were into that kind of thing. You so. got into games, though, video games. Yeah, I mean, big into Game Boy and all those... 90s systems but we're open and affirming to all types of yeah. nerd culture like i was a late nerd bloomer <laughs> we accept you thank you hey there's nothing there you're always welcome <laughs> it's good to be here i said this on the invincible podcast but <laughs> on nerd world order on the facebook group it ranges from actual comic book stuff to you know like a cat meme or something like there's <laughs> there's nothing that's like not yeah. free game and it's all great because usually it has some sort of reference it could be like to mario or to you know Something doesn't really matter. Vin Diesel. Yeah, Vin, Vin Diesel. Diesel. Family. Dude, crazy what the Vin Diesel yeah, was. The family I didn't know there was that many. Right it's so strange. Family is in. Yeah. <laughs> we learned that in Black Widow. Yeah. True. <laughs> so I don't really know how to frame the conversation about Loki other than kind of just talking about a reaction. I thought about maybe going episode by episode, but I thought that might just be a little bit too detailed. But really quick, I figured we would just mention the actors and actresses involved and the makers of the show. So, I mean, obviously, this is another Disney Plus Marvel venture because of the success of Disney Plus and Marvel, Kevin Feige, was sort of put in charge of making episodic television series straight to streaming that existed in what is now known as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's been wildly successful. And I think Loki has been the most successful one so far. And it's also 
as we've come to know because of the episode that just dropped on Wednesday, it now has the largest impact, potentially the largest impact in the universe going forward and setting up sort of everything that's going to happen next in that cinematic universe. And so, yeah, that's what's kind of going on for people listening to this podcast, you know, whoever is listening to it. Everyone that listens to it is here. Uh, but like, whoever is left. Hey, there's if, nothing if, wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Thank you for finally acknowledging I listen to your podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. But anyone that may not know, that's what's happening. And if you don't know what the Marvel movies are, well, why'd you click on this episode? But um, Gabe, do you want to just do a quick rundown of who wrote it, who directed it? Because what's interesting about these is they are shot like movies. So they consider themselves to not have any showrunners at all, which is normally what a show would have to be running the show, you know, executive producing the whole thing, keeping it together. They don't have those supposedly. And instead they hire one director to direct all the episodes. So it feels very uniform, but it's a lot of work obviously so yeah instead we have well this series was led mostly by kate heron as the director and she'd done some other stuff but she's kind of fresh young talent uh comparatively with the old dogs in the cinematic universe she directed sex education on netflix and did some other stuff as well i love sex education and the other powerful creative mind behind this series would probably be michael waldron uh, Kevin Feige brought on some of the Rick and Morty crew to to sort of guide the tone and the feeling of Loki. And Michael Waldron was one of the writers who came in and sort of, I guess you could call him the showrunner, him and Kate Heron sort of together. Yeah. And that's the creative force behind it. Kate Heron has come out recently and said because the idea that they'd come back for another season of the show wasn't even really in the minds while they were making this first season so that they didn't even shoot that last scene where Loki walks into another TVA in the multiverse and there's a statue of King there until after they kind of decided that they were going to come back for a second season. So, but Kate has come out in the past couple days and has said, Hey, I put my all into this show and it's, it was really hard to direct six episodes because most shows has multiple directors per episode. And so she's like, I don't think I'm going to come back for the season two. But yeah, she did a great job. I really enjoyed her style. Her style, yeah. Did you guys like her? I want to hear Alan, because I already know how Alan feels about it. I just want to hear what Alan has to say about it. Okay. Because I already know a little bit, but I just want to hear him talk about it. (laughs) Uh, So I I thought the good aspect was that there was a gradual buildup to the reveal. Overall, I have to say that I didn't find the story itself to be necessary. I'm still very much on the fence as to whether or not I like the overall series. Uh, there were episodes that I really like, like episodes four and five. But when I look at episodes one, two, and three, and then we jump to six, I felt like a lot of what happened wasn't necessary to arrive at the point that we did, which is why I'm still on the fence. And that, my friends, is why we disagree a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps the relationship healthy. So, Joe, what did you think? I thought it was good. I mean, everybody knew, like, the whole thing was just a setup just for the multiverse, just like WandaVision was, you know, at the end of it. Mm -hmm. So, like, I already knew what they were trying to do. So, for me, I loved it. I thought it was dope. I knew where they were going with it, and I'm okay with it. It's one of those things, like, you know where it's going, and either it's going to make you mad and disagree with it, like Dukes, (laughs) right? Or you just know where they're going to go from day one, and you accept it, and you enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. Which I enjoyed it a lot more. So, I mean, it was cool to introduce 
choose Kang because everybody was like wondering, is it going to be Kang or is it going to be like another Loki? And I was glad that they did Kang. You know, I thought it was a good introduction for him because he's supposed to be the next baddie. Sure. But is he the next baddie? That's another question. Yeah. Or is he just a baddie just for Ant-Man? I like how we know what this is set up or we know it's a setup for the multiverse. But when you get towards the end of it, it's like you don't really want her to kill him. <laughs> Cause, yeah. And then you're like, oh yeah, she kind of has to kill him. <laughs> and how's this going to go down and what's going to happen with her relationship? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But yeah, like the way Duke said, you know, all of this really wasn't dependent on anything. Reminds me of like Indiana Jones, like Indiana Jones, the first movie would have happened no matter what with or without Indiana Jones. So it's what made me think of when he's talking about that there. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about him and her really quick. Him let's and talk her. about the cast. <laughs> oh, Loki and who so- we are actually referring to when we're talking about him and her. So Tom Hiddleston was Loki. The titular. The character. titular character. <laughs> and then Sophia DiMartino ended up being some sort of version of Loki, but also Enchantress, I think. Is that right? No, it's the Enchantress is like creation or she took somebody else from when they were in Idaho or whatever and made her into an enchantress. The original uh, enchantress, her name is not Sylvia. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's may have been where she learned her magic. We might find some of that in season two because the enchantress, she's supposed to be like this goddess of a woman and she's not the enchantress, you know? Yeah. So I, I think we're going to learn more about the because, you know, you don't just learn how to enchant somebody on your own Loki would have figured it out by himself right Yeah. even though he was learning all the other stuff it's like you just don't pick it up on the streets you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um, I foresee that in season 2 okay and then we had Mobius Mobius played by Owen Wilson who did amazingly I loved his character <laughs> wow yeah show. he was good I could watch him chew the scenery for an hour <laughs> wow yeah wow 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 he's so hot right now <laughs> yeah he is <laughs> right wow <laughs> there was Ravona Renslayer Played by a name that I, it's going to be very difficult to pronounce. Do it. Try it. Uh, Gugu Bathara. Uh, but she was great. And she's really important too for Kang in the comics. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Really? Which they'll probably oh, his, really uh, flesh out. Right? Yeah, it's his main squeeze. The cheap that was guy. his girlfriend. What? Yeah, I thought they were going to play off that. of that dynamic more towards the end of season one. But it sounds like they're just going to go Set into it. Because when she walks off at the end of the show, she's going to explore. Yeah. Her, it sounds like she's going to explore her character as it was in the comics. So, because you know, the one her. who remains is not Kang. I mean, even though they're the same person, that they're not the one who remains and Kang are two different people. Kang is right. the conqueror. You know, an alternate version of him. So he could come in and be like, "What's up?" And she'd be like, "What's up?" And then he'd be like, "What's up?" What's and then up? there you go. Oh, so that's how I mean, it that's works. how I do it. Marvel was always <laughs> like that. They always combine the characters and transfers a Loki variant. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Kane. Alligator Loki. Oh, my favorite. Yeah. So Throg. <laughs> Throg. Yeah, this took a crazy turn in episode five. So who played the older Loki? Richard Grant. Yeah. Yeah, he was awesome. You said he was in... Oh, he's been in a lot, but more recently, in terms of like high-profile nerd culture, he was one of the admirals in Rise of Skywalker. He was in Rise of Skywalker. He was a guy that unceremoniously killed General Hux. Right, right. right. He blasted him. <laughs> and we all love Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, okay, moving on. I enjoyed it. So, and then we finally get to this crazy character in episode six. Like he's Miss Minutes, <laughs> played by Tara, Tara Strong. Strong. Yeah, who voiced Barbara? I think in yes. Killing Joke, right? Full circle. We have Barbara with us, <laughs> and she's also within Loki. No, but we get a huge character drop. We should mention that before episode six aired on Wednesday, it was already known that Jonathan Majors was cast as King the Conqueror 
in the third Ant-Man and the Wasp movie called Quantumania. And everyone, I mean, people have been raving about Jonathan Majors for his work and other things. And people were sort of expecting, could it be Kang the Conqueror? Because I guess Kang the Conqueror in the comics was one of the timekeepers. And so people were sort of expecting him to show up at some point in this. And then he finally shows up in episode six, but not as Kang, as a character named He Who Remains. Is that right? Which, like Alf said, is a, just a different character in the comics. Yeah. yeah. There's another name for He Who Remains. Immortus. Oh, Immortus. Yeah, Immortus, right. No, those were different characters, weren't they? Oh, were they? So Immortus is the character that ran the TVA. So I think this is Immortus. I've never seen a character called the one who remains, but I'm not sure if they're the same character. I know that that character exists because before episode six aired, because I read spoilers like a mofo, (laughs) I um, was reading, everyone was trying to anticipate who would be, and he who remains was one of the top guesses as they were going to walk through that portal at the end of time. And so I think he existed somewhere in the comics. I had never heard of him either though. So, well, there's also, what is it Rama Tut or is it, the living pharaoh. He was he was also the same Kang guy. Same with Iron Lad, who formed the, the Young Avengers, which of course is coming. He was also Kang, which was also Nathaniel Richards, which was also what? Reed Richards' father, what? Mm-hmm. who is and, Iron Man. Dude, it's it's convoluted. It's like back and forth. We gotta go back, Marty. Yeah, I did hear like a <laughs> spoiler that that Nathaniel Richards might be somehow tied, and I didn't do further research into right. I read how. some of those books were out in the '90s where they had the die cut covers and whatnot. And <laughs> I, was, I remember those. Yeah, and Nathaniel Richards Pizza Hut had some of those. Exactly yeah. came back from the came back from the future. Yeah, and he like started to train Franklin Richards, and but it's weird because it's Reed's dad from the past who was in the future, and. Uh, it's just Very like common. a whole cable thing. Yeah. So Marvel does. Let me go back in time to fix things because my ultimate universe is so jacked up. Well, just name him Nathaniel. <laughs> Retroactive continuity. But when they go back in time, it isn't going to fix their time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's going to fix the timeline that they're in now. That's literally the thing that made me stop reading Amazing Spider-Man was at the brand new day, yeah. one more day garbage. I have not yeah. picked up a book since. Up to that point, I was super into it. It was such bad retconning that like, I just I just quit reading. Dude, just try having your kids ask you, hey, dad, who can win? Hulk or Wolverine? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Well, I did some <laughs> research. It doesn't matter because they keep redoing the dang storylines yeah. and changing everything. That's what True. Marvel does. They change everything. So whoever once used to beat one character can't beat him now. I mean, which is maybe why the MCU is now like headed full force into the multiverse because right. everything's on the table now. Literally, mm-hmm. they can do anything. They can have six iterations of the same character and make six different movies with each version of that character if they want to. Right. Which is nuts. But the question is, will Loki season two close the multiverse? You know, I was thinking about Mm -hmm. that. Like, are they going to do a huge phase one, phase two, phase three endgame scenario again? Or is the multiverse war just going to exist in like phase four, maybe a little bit into phase five, if you could break it up that way? That's an interesting question because thinking about... We already know that Doctor Strange is going to introduce the multiverse because that's the subtitle. Quantumania has that because we knew that Jonathan Majors was going to be in it as king. But now I'm thinking like we know that Natalie Portman 
is going to be Thor. Is she going to be a multiverse version of Thor? Is Thor going to touch on that as well? What I'm saying is, is everything. And then we also, all the rumors with the new Spider-Man movie coming out. That is definitely multiverse. Maybe everything is going to touch on the multiverse from here on. And then at some point, someone will just shut Jonathan Majors down. I have no idea. I, do you ever guess have any like guesses or opinions about that? Alan does. I definitely do. At this point, we know that Kang is Reed Richards' great-grandson. So that ties in one franchise or brings in one franchise that previously existed outside of the MCU. Yeah. I believe it was Alf that mentioned that Kang was also another iteration was an Egyptian pharaoh. That pharaoh trained, let's see here, he trained the first mutant whose name escapes me. Apocalypse? Apocalypse. In Sabanur. He trained Apocalypse, which brings in the X-Men franchise. And so if you look at him, all his different iterations actually touch on the franchises that are outside of the MCU right now. Wow. So I feel like they're going to use him and all of his iterations to bring in all the other universes, create this multiverse, and then tie them all together. That's a beautiful theory, and I really like it. (laughs) Tie them together with a secret war. Which is going to tie them together for secret wars, right, Alan? Correct. Not the original Secret Wars, but the new Secret Wars that uh, Marvel did about five years ago, where you have overlapping universes that are crashing upon each other. And the master, I believe he was the master, the mastermind or the master mold, which was an evil version of Reed Richards, wanted to destroy the 616 universe. So obviously only his universe could remain. So once again, you have these overlapping universes that Marvel's dealt with before in their comic books. And I think that's how they're going to handle everything and bring it all together with Secret Wars. Do you think Secret Wars is the direction that they're going? Maybe for the sort of endgame scale finale of if the phase four, phase five and phase six kind of end up into something. Do you think Secret Wars is that thing or? Absolutely. I don't think there's been anything bigger in the comic books than Secret Wars. In like the 616 universe. Correct. I mean, do you think even Galactus coming and trying to eat the 616 Earth, do you think that is something that could be eventually like a Thanos level threat? Or is that not even on our radar at this point because Secret Wars is so much bigger? I think Secret Wars is way bigger right now. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And especially you got Celestials coming with the Eternals and they've popped up in Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, they're bigger than Galactus. I mean, not just size wise. I mean, they are bigger size wise, but bigger like scheme of things. Yeah. yeah. We still got other things like what else have we got coming still? We've got Secret Invasion. Still, we got to deal with the scrolls. I mean, apparently they're going to all of a sudden become bad guys and we've got the X-Men. I mean, I can't forget the X-Men. They're coming. What about Dr. Doom, Dukes? Because wasn't Dr. Doom part of Secret Wars too? Because if you think about it, Dr. Doom is a caliber kind of Thanos kind of character, right? Totally. Because he's a magician and he can and he's and he's smart as hell. Yeah. So I think that would be a good villain. What I would like to see, and you know, me and Dukes talk about this all the time, is like your mind works in a mysterious ways where it's like you have all these little theories and you're like, oh, they gotta do it this way, and they never do it that way. It's always something so simple. Yeah. But I think it would be real cool if Doctor Doom was actually the mastermind behind everything, even with Thanos, with the stones and everything. And he was just behind the scenes doing it. I think that would be cool, but that's just my opinion. But I think that'd be dope the whole time if it was just him sitting back 
orchestrating everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see him as a puppeteer pulling all those strings. You know, he was once Sorcerer Supreme. He wrestled that away from Doctor Strange. What? He was Sorcerer Supreme for like a minute. Dukes, you were going to say something before we interrupted you about <laughs> Secret Wars. Oh, just uh, restating. I just feel like Secret Wars represents, well, we do know that it was basically created to sell toys. But from a comic book perspective... Secret Wars, at least the version that Marvel introduced most recently, really lines up well with what the MCU is doing right now, which is introducing all these new universes. You know, the Ultimate Universe crashed with the 616 universe, with all the other universes, and it just seems like the Multiverse of Madness is going to set up a very similar idea where, you know, all these universes are crashing together, all these multiverses are overlapping and the only way to solve it is like as joe said dr doom played a major part in secret wars in the most recent incarnation of secret wars in the marvel comic book so it seems like that's what they could be moving towards now which is the secret wars overlapping multiverses as sort of the final version or this version of endgame you know let's say they go phase four phase five and then they have Secret Wars as being this version of Endgame. I think that's what they're doing. The Kang is essentially probably going to be the big bad for all of that, right? Bringing it all together. Yeah, I definitely think so. Just because Kang can theoretically exist and understand that there are multiple versions of himself. And like, let's just acknowledge the other franchises that have existed. Kang exists as a descendant of Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four universe. So we have that. So he's a descendant of that universe. Given the fact that he trained the original mutant, he is clearly also in the X-Men universe. And also another interesting fact is well, there was a prophecy that the Scarlet Witch would create the most powerful being of all time who could then control time, which is why he orchestrated the relationship slash marriage between vision and the scarlet witch so once again if you look at everything he's could exist in all the universes and you can see how he also manipulated our current mcu so yeah he could definitely be in all those universes and ultimately he's the reason they all overlap what's the science behind when the universes collide, do the characters just then exist in the 616 universe or do their respective Earths still exist? Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, absolutely. So I believe that their universes no longer exist. So the best way that I can describe it is let's say both universes can't occupy the same space. And as they start to overlap, one of them disappears. And when they disappear, the character in their universe also disappears with it. Hmm. So yeah, they go, their universe goes, everything just goes all at once. Do you think that's how they're going to bring in mutants to the MCU? I think Wanda's going to have a big part in it. I don't think it's going to be Kang so much. That's just my opinion. I think there's a reason why she's in the multiverse of madness. Yeah. I think that's the reason why she's in it. Me and Duke's talked about it before because they haven't really truly did House of M. I know they're, they're kind of thinking House of M was like the episodes that she had. And that, I know. I don't think that's it. I think some of it might start in in Doctor Strange movie. I think that's one of the reasons why she's in there. Mm-hmm. And I think she's going to be a big part of them coming in. But I could be wrong. But that's just mine. No, that's interesting. I, I mean, I was hoping that by the end of WandaVision that 
she would have somehow orchestrated mutation because she's that powerful that she would have done some sort of reality altering maybe instead of normal mutants she's just like mutants period like they now exist and that's how i thought wandavision was going to end or how i kind of hoped it would end but you know yeah i feel like I mean, this kind of speaks to the show of Loki, but Marvel doesn't really take a lot of risks as far as the movies, like the cinematic universe, when it comes to doing something so outlandish that they would lose viewers. So they're always going to do the more safe kind of bet. And I feel like we can kind of count on that now. But I was sort of happy with the ending of Loki, although some of the middle parts of it were sort of meandering, like the Lamentous episode. But how it ended, I was like, oh... Marvel's still kind of taking a risk, but it's still a safe risk because that's the direction that they're going. They're going into the multiverse direction. But Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed how Loki ended for that reason. You know, Jonathan Majors kind of presents to the two main Lokis at that point who are Sylvie and Tom Hiddleston as Loki that it's a gamble. You can either kill me and all of my multiverse iterations will show up and some of them are terrible and they'll try to conquer each other or you can let me continue with the TVA essentially killing different versions of multiverse people which is it's like a whole like lesser of two evils kind of Dexter sort of thing Mm -hmm. which is really interesting and I really liked how they presented it and then how it ended on this huge cliffhanger. It felt to me sort of like how Infinity War ended, mm-hmm. which was on a cliffhanger. And even though we know that things are going to be resolved, right. like, and that's why it's safe, it still feels really cool. What did you think of like how the show ended this season? Well, the piggyback of what you said, the piggyback of what you said about the WandaVision, Monica Rambo, Wanda gave her powers. Who knows, right? Who else got affected by that? Probably everyone that when the blast came out, you don't know, right? right. That could be something from that. But like you said, Marvel was very strategic on the stuff that they do. So like with the multiverse, you know, they were going to go with it. So for them, it's like you said, it's a safe bet, but that's what they're going to. Because everybody knew Loki was going to set up the multiverse. Everybody knew it already. Mm -hmm. So I think Kevin Feige is smart enough to listen to all the fans and people that are in the comics. He listens to that. He's got an ear to it. So he's going to listen and and use that as some input, but still going to do what he wants to do. And so the way Loki ended, I was cool with it because that's what I was expecting. Because the whole time, like, is she going to kill him? You know she has to kill him. It's the only way, right? For things to set off to create some stuff. I like what they did. They have to do that because like Alfie do, he likes X-Men. I love X-Men too. And I want to see them in there and it's been too long. You remember what was it? X-Men 3 where Professor X just exploded. You're like, wait, what? The first five minutes? I was like, I want to leave. But my kids were like, I think 10 and 8 or something like that. I was like, I can't just pick up my kids and leave. But I was like, what the hell is this malarkey? Malarkey. So you're going to say. With the uh, finale of Loki, I had two major complaints. Where was my alligator Loki? True. And where was the jet ski? There was no jet ski. Come on. Owen Wilson needed to be riding off in the sunset with Loki on the back. Best friends forever. You know, on a jet ski. I think they would have given Mobius a more uh, uh, final kind of point to his story arc if they didn't anticipate there being more from him. Because I think they're trying to keep him around for the next season. Because he's so good. He he really is, yeah. And the camaraderie between those two characters is so good. Chemistry is really good. Yeah, it's fantastic. 
And then, you know, of course, we can't go without mentioning, what's the song called? I Need a Hero. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was everywhere. <laughs> you had it in Loki. You had it in the Masters of the Universe. and Oh, and then there was a video game announcement for Guardian of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know what's cool is that was all started with some guy sitting there with YouTube, taking that Luke Skywalker scene from Mandalorian, putting I Need a Hero to it, and then all of a sudden it was everywhere. So, Dukes, what did you think about the ending? I didn't really like the ending. Reason being is, you know, I I just really feel like Kang is a character with so many possibilities that time travel, even though I disagreed with Joe previously, time travel, multiple universes, etc. is just lazy writing. And so this episode left us open to an infinite number of possibilities of what's going to happen next. So Mm -hmm. I look at it as like this episode happened But it's also like if it didn't happen, we'd still be in exactly the same place of knowing that there's infinite possibilities of what could happen next. Granted, this episode created the catalyst for the multiverse of madness and, you know, all these expanded universes, etc. But I just felt like King is such a lazy vehicle to get us to the point where we have all these infinite possibilities. And I, I felt like it wasn't a necessary journey to get us there. So I I wouldn't say I was disappointed. However, no after credits. I sat there waiting for my after credits. I was pissed off about that. But overall, I just feel like this episode didn't leave me in a place where I was excited for what happens next. What would you have done differently? Like if Marvel gave you the reins and they're like, hey, introduce the multiverse without Kang. What would you have done? I could have used Kang. However, my thing is I would have liked to have heard or seen a clear direction on whatever villain that they were using, where that villain intended to go next. So like if I use Thanos or Thanos as an example, you knew that he was trying to get all the Infinity Stones because ultimately he wanted the power that the Infinity Stones brings. At the end of this show, you have no idea where they're going to go. So what I would have really preferred is just some clear direction from the villain or someone within the cast to say, this is where we're going to go next. Well, at the end of Avengers 1, the post credit scene, Thanos turns around and smirks. That was kind of unclear for, you know, the end of the phase one. So if we don't have much direction, but we do know that like Kang is sort of now present, is that similar to you or is that different? It's very different to me because I read Infinity War, you know, so when I saw Thanos, I immediately knew like, okay, this is where we're going. And I immediately started theorizing like, okay, where are the infinity stones? You know, what's Uh the Tesseract? Like one of the infinity stones, like I knew where they were going, but with Uh Kang, because there's so many incarnations of them, there's so many different versions. I'm already thinking to myself like, okay, they're building the young Avengers. He's going to be iron lad. Are they going to leave him out? There's just so many different ways to go with him. With Thanos, he has one big story arc. It's the Infinity War. It's him getting the Infinity Stones. Whereas, as we've discussed throughout this podcast, Kang has so many different ways that he's touched every franchise in Marvel. It's impossible to tell where he's going to go. Do you think he could be... uh, Because you know they're doing the Ironheart series with the young girl that becomes the next iteration of Iron Man or whatever. Do you think that could be an iteration of Kang? 
Riri. I would doubt that. Uh, Riri Williams has a pretty established history in the Marvel comics, and it doesn't really overlap with Kang at all. But the Iron Lad character is simply another version of Kang where he decided, hey, you know what? I met a future evil version of myself. I never want to become that version. So now I'm going to go back in time and try and stop all this from ever happening. So Riri, I don't see as ever becoming any part of the Kang mythos, but I think Iron Lad's inevitable, which just brings up a bigger question, which is like, if Iron Lad becomes part of the Young Avengers, which has been announced, it's going to happen, then how does this current Jonathan Major's version, which I'll call Immortus, and also then we have the Kane the Conqueror version, which I expect to happen later in like, let's say, Quantumania. How are all of these characters going to interact together? How are they going to be introduced? There's just a lot more questions that we get with Kang being introduced or Immortus being introduced that we never really got with, you know, Thanos because Thanos is a standalone, very simple character. He's in love with death and that's why he wants to get all the Infinity Stones. He's very simple. Immortus, Kang, Iron Lad whatever you want to call him, is way too complicated to know where Marvel's going to go next. They probably don't know. <laughs> I think that they do. Because, you know, Kevin Feige and the other executive producers, Victoria Alonzo and Louis D'Esposito, they go to Palm Springs at the end of each phase and discuss what the future of the MCU is going to look like. They take like a week or two retreat and they like pitch out ideas and stuff to each other. Sipping mojitos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, I'm at, like, I'm going to go to Palm Springs. Yeah, we're out in Palm Springs. Let's go. Yeah, yeah no, I'm serious. <laughs> and then Feige recently said, I mean, I'm sure you guys read this article or the headline that they had a huge meeting to discuss the rules of the multiverse. So I do feel like they have some sort of idea and that they are going to set some boundaries so that things don't get crazy out of hand, you know, because I think that now they know that things can go crazy from here. Yeah, it seems like Kang just represents total chaos at this point because there are so many versions of him and we'll probably see a lot of those versions uh, specifically. You know, what if all that chaos is just something because Kevin Feige sees throughout this whole experience how much the fans are like, oh, it's this, it's Mephisto, it's Mephisto, it's this, it's that, it's this, it's going to be this, they're going to do that. And he, maybe he did that just so everybody can be like, I don't know. There's so many different ways we can go. And everybody's got their conspiracy, conspiracy theories, their fan theories, you know, their fan fiction and what they have built up in their head versus what they're going to see on the screen. And we know what we're going to see on the screen is going to be amazing. I mean, look what they did with a no-name group like Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, we all love Guardians of the Galaxy now, and they were just like nobodies, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm excited. The uncertainty is pretty killer. <laughs> Well, let's try to wrap this up because I don't want to take too much of you guys' time. I appreciate you all being here, by the way. This is super nah, awesome. Thanks for having us, man. I always like talking nerd shit. <laughs> I know. I get so jazzed. Like, I don't ever get mm -hmm. to talk about this. Gabe doesn't yeah. know anything like this. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> hey, hey, is Gabe like you always have that one guy that has all the info and he's like, oh, here, psh, oh, here, psh. He's the man in the chair. Not for comics. Gabe's like Batman to my Robin, I would mm, say. That's that's in that's mm. inverse. He might yeah. say Robin to my Batman. He's Alfred. I'm Barbara for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, so like let me ask you this last question. If you could grade it from A to F or like on a scale of one to ten, how would this sit for you and everything the MCU has done up to this point? However you want to grade it. Uh, Deuce, you want to take this one? Because I already know where you're going. <laughs> Joe lets me answer, and then he just formulates a way to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> 
redeemed to you, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I, I want to say um, it gets a C. Okay. And like I said, episode one may be necessary. Two, three, two, three, four, take it or leave it. Five and six were pretty cool. If you're not a diehard and you're not concerned about, oh, how does this fit into the next arc of the MCU, it's kind of boring. So overall, I felt it was slow. I felt like the Sylvie-Loki relationship was somewhat forced. Sylvie is, as we discussed here today, like, who the heck is she? Sylvie is not a Loki variant. She's not the Enchantress. Sylvie is a character into herself. And granted, Marvel, you can do whatever you want with all your properties. If you want to turn her into a Loki variant, that's fine. But that being said, what they did with her in order to force her into this storyline was just, I'll say it again, lazy writing. And I feel like overall, this story wasn't necessary in as long as it took to get there. And the only reason they did this was to introduce Kang. And yeah, Kang's cool, but I don't need a whole series for that. So I give it a C minus. <laughs> Joe's laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Alfie. I'm, I'm going to go with like a B plus. I, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I'm, I'm that diehard Marvel fan who wants to see every single thing. You know, I want to be fed information and figure things out before and be like, ha, or look for those little minor details and be like, ha, you know, <laughs> I remember seeing Mjolnir and I'm like, what's in that jar? About, I think it was about 10, 15 minutes went by. It was bugging me. I had to rewind it. Do you rewind now? No, reverse it <laughs> and pause it. And I'm like, what is that? And then play, pause. Whoa, that's Throg. That's Throg. That's that's a Thor frog. I was so happy. You know, I yeah. saw the Thanos copter. Oh my God. It's like um, somebody once was explaining like Star Wars. Star Wars, it's not a great film. It's, it's the moments. It's the moments that you watch that just like fill you with so much joy. That's so great about it. You know what I mean? So that's what it was with Loki. It's like the little moments that just like... You know, and um, even the song got to me. He was like, ah, that song is just right now. It's just so uplifting. Play it all the time for my son. And he, Are like, you talking about the score? No, no, no. I'm not talking about the score. I need a hero. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the score was unreal in this show. Like, I love the music. I think it was Natalie Holt. Is that her name? Yeah. Natalie Holt. She's like this young composer and she scored all the music. And there's so many catchy songs. Wait, so you're like a, an A? Are you an A or are you a B like Alf? Uh, you know what, dude? You know, like The Rock, Marky Mark, <laughs> uh, Vin Diesel, no matter what movie they're in, dude, you kind of just like it because, <laughs> you know, Keanu Reeves, yeah. whatever he's playing, it's the same character. You like it. I, I like Tom Hiddleton, so I'm kind of biased because I like him as an actor yeah. and I like him as Loki. So for me, I'm kind of biased that I would give it an A. But, like, Alan does have some valid points. And Alan is a huge Marvel fan. He just has higher expectations. Sure. And I just like to eat him up because the reviews is given Loki is kind of like what he does to DC movies. He just doesn't like anything DC makes other than Shazam. So he's probably sitting there going, like, come on, dude, get to the point. I know where you're going. Just do mm -hmm, it already, right? Mm -hmm. Wait, what was your grade, though? Yeah, what was your grade? Uh, I, I would give it a B plus, like Alfred. Okay. Yeah, I have a lot to say about DC as well. <laughs> But yeah, for me with Loki, Tom Hilson, he was really fun. And I loved him and Owen Wilson together. That's when the show was really at its best, which is why episode three was the worst. 
And, you know, I had no idea where the show was going. I was just trying to enjoy the ride, just like Alf. And so when the timekeepers, they throw the thing at the head and it pops off and it's a robot, I was like, that's sweet. You know, like I love being surprised like that for the most part, especially when it's good. But then, yeah, when the show then became just a setup for the multiverse as the final episode, it sort of detracted from the value of the show, you know? But I really did enjoy the ride, so overall I would give it like a B, like a strong B as well, I think, for me. What about you, Gabriel? I think I'd agree with you guys on the high B. I haven't been a fan, really, of Marvel writing as much since Endgame, I think. Particularly the Disney Plus shows, there's always dips in the quality, in my opinion, from Falcon and Winter Soldier to WandaVision. And then Loki isn't really an exception for me. But the heart of it, which is Loki's journey, which is like a weird inverted therapy experience over the six episodes, I dug that and him kind of coming to terms with his issues as a character, his character flaws, and then sort of resolving that. Getting the fast track from 10 years ago, because that was the Loki, you know, six episodes ago was the one who got screwed in Avengers 1. So yeah, that part of it I enjoyed. A lot of the other stuff I didn't really care for. But what brings it up for me significantly is the other like technical aspects of the show, like the production design of the TVA, I absolutely adored. All that weird retro future tech. The music, like we said, I really dug the score. And then just watching Tom Hiddleston, Owen Wilson chew scenery, even if nothing's really getting done, I could just watch them have a conversation for an hour. So that's why I, you know, despite like the middling quality of the writing and the direction of the story, I could just enjoy that for an hour a week because they're great. And then Jonathan Majors, despite how people may feel about the Kang reveal, I think he's going to be great moving forward. Moving from the manic depressive Immortus, I'm really excited to see him become a sinister, conniving, evil <laughs> villain. It's going to be great. So for all those reasons, it's, it's probably a high B for me. Definitely liked it over Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. This has been so sweet. We should do this again. Yes. Yeah, I'm down. I always like talking nerd stuff. There's bro. so like, much freaking content coming out. <laughs> we'll have to set it up. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks, guys, very much. Now, thank you guys. It's nice meeting you, Gabe and Steve. Good Ong. to meet you guys. Hi, right, gentlemen. Nice talking with you again.